humanity is growing and connecting. Tomorrow's world needs more energy from more places. But to find our net zero future, we must overcome the natural constraints of many new energy sources. This is the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, where we look at the energy challenges of modern life and the innovators finding solutions. Join us for a low-carbon, high-energy conversation with your host, Joe Batir. This views of the host are his own and should not be viewed as those of any business, corporation, or government entity. Hey everyone, Joe here. You're about to listen to an episode that I recently recorded with Aviva and AWS Energy. What you'll notice in this recording is that there is very little input from me. And I, I was having so much fun listening that I, I just didn't see a need to, to continue asking questions. I, I really enjoyed this podcast, even though I was more of a spectator than a participant. And I think that you will enjoy it as well. So I just wanted to give you that heads up and make sure that, that you were aware and ready for that. I also wanted to make a quick correction before before starting this podcast. On when I was doing introductions, I said Aviva was an information technology software company. That isn't that isn't exactly right. Really, Aviva is an industrial software company. So I just wanted to also clear that up to set the stage for you as we start this show. With that, let's let's listen to the recording. Hello and welcome to the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast brought to you by AWS Energy. I'm your host, Joe Batier. This is the show where we bring you low-carbon, high-energy stories from the people solving the energy challenges of modern life. I am here today with Harpreet Gulati of Aviva, excuse me, and Arno Vandenhock of AWS. Aviva is an information technology software company working in many different industries. AWS, for those of you who may not know, is Amazon Web Services which is the on-demand cloud computing platform of Amazon.com. Today, we are going to focus on one big idea, that is threats to the energy industry in this new phase of life we call the energy transition, and how Aviva and AWS see those threats and are helping turn those threats into opportunities. Harpreet, Arno, thank you for joining me today on the podcast. If you would, please share with me and the audience your background and introduce us to your company. Thank you, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, Start off uh, by myself, um, Harpreet Galati. I work for Aviva. I've been in the industry for about 25 years. Just a brief word about Aviva. We are a global leader in industrial software, and our goal is to combine engineering, operational, and industrial information to enable customers to make better decisions through digital twins and digital threats. 
we are an independent hardware software agnostic platform with strategic shareholder from Schneider Electric. And our mission is to pioneer innovation that empower industry leaders to optimize value, efficiency, and sustainability. Over to you, Arno. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Harpreet and uh, Joe. Thank you so much for uh, for being part of this uh, this important discussion. Um, Amazon Web Services, um, correct. Um, we were launched in 2006 within Amazon and really inventing the cloud concept uh, as it's known today. Um, we did that by using our customer obsession and we realized that we could help our customers together with our culture of innovation and our innovation mechanisms to really bring something new and something hopefully meaningful to our customers. And that led indeed to a new service, which as you said, was the provision of compute services over the internet in a pay-as-you-go model. Um, and of course, the logical question that you're probably going to be asking, uh, Joe, is uh, what is Amazon and what is AWS doing in the energy industry? And how is Amazon really helping with the energy transition? Well, we made it very public uh, already a couple of years ago uh, that the energy industry should have access to the same technologies as any other industry. And, and we will continue, and that's our commitment, we will continue to provide cloud services to companies in the energy industry to make their legacy businesses less carbon intensive and really help them accelerate development of renewable energy businesses. And we support sustainability program for our own businesses and we work with our partners like Aviva to reduce their demand uh, for carbon uh, fuel sources. Um, and just to really maybe highlight how we do that and what it really means for us on a day-by-day -day basis, I think really there's, there's two tracks that we work on. Um, we help transform the core of your operations, really helping you transform today, and at the same time, build the future of energy. And we do that across the entire value stream. So we do that in upstream, we do that in midstream, we do that in downstream, and of course, we'll also do that in, uh, in new energies. And, and when we talk about our role in, in, in helping sustain and drive the sustainable change, it may be good to, maybe to highlight um, where we do that internally. Um, probably, as you know, in uh, September 2019, uh, Amazon uh, launched the, the Climate Pledge, a really a commitment to meet the Paris Agreement 10 years early. So really want to be net zero carbon by 2014. By 2040. Uh, we're on a path for 100% renewable energy by 2025 for Amazon Web Services. And maybe just to put some numbers to it, um, last December, we announced that Amazon is the world's largest corporate producer of renewable energy and really on a path to powering our operations with 100% renewable energy by, 20, by 2025. So when we look at uh, what we've been doing and really putting our money where our mouth is, at the moment, we've got uh, something like 10,000 megawatts of total renewable capacity. Uh, we have over 85 uh, utility-scale solar and wind projects. And we have over 230 global renewable uh, energy projects. And we are approaching 150 on-site solar systems. So again, it is around uh, not just um, helping our customers, helping the industry uh, together with Aviva, but also, and I think that's the important part, is also demonstrating how we do that internally and how we also, uh, as I said, put our money where our mouth is. Again, happy to, um, to discuss a little bit deeper how we can use those lessons um, to really help also the industry uh, towards this, uh, this renewable energy goal. Yes, thank you for that introduction. And I guess today, and as you pointed out, 
you, AWS and Aviva, you both are doing very, very great things in the energy industry and really, really tackling that question of how do we get to net zero? And one thing that I think I've noticed over the past year, and maybe many of us have noticed, is that there's a lot of a lot of threats in the in this energy transition. When I think of this, I think of the colonial pipeline hack. I think of the spike in natural gas prices across Europe. And I think of the Texas winter blackout in February of 2021. I'm curious, as you are thinking about the energy transition, what do you think and how do you think about these different kinds of threats to our energy our energy uh, infrastructure? That's a great question, uh, Joe. Uh, start off, like there's, there's multiple threats, you call it challenges to, to sort of go to, to where, we, where the world needs to get to, right? Um, and, and, you know, obviously we as technology vendors are part of the solution, but multiple people within this ecosystem have to work together to get there. And, and nobody can work in isolation. I think the biggest one big threat is, is that, you know, keep the, the, the threat of not collaboration across the different value chains that are involved in this industry area. There's obviously the, there's, there's threats around, around, you know, digital security. There is, you know, um, and where all of the, the different parts pieces are, are being worked together, all comp- all the countries, uh, as was highlighted uh, recently at the COP26, have to work in unison towards a common goal to get there. But I would say two, you know, two threats that can be, two, or challenges that can be tackled using technology. One is the decarbonization of the energy basket. How do we decarbonize across the board? And, and how do we sort of bring together all these supply chains so that we have a resilient system as is highlighted by recent energy spikes or the Texas, uh, you know, sort of winter blackout, as you said, is, is how do we bring all of these systems together in their supply chains to work together and make things happen? Yeah, I'm, I'm probably a little bit more optimistic uh, than you are, Harpreet. Um, I actually do believe that... Um, of course, the threats are there, but the threats have been always been there. If we just look at, at how dynamic prices have been over the last 50 years, uh, they've been all over the place with extreme um, changes. Uh, but I think what really gives me a lot of hope, a lot of confidence that we are changing is what we are seeing is the unprecedented investment in low carbon assets in, in 2020. Uh, and for me, the real thing that really stood out is when you look at some of the reports from the, the EIA, is that in 2020, investments in renewable or green energy outpaced investments in uh, traditional upstream technologies for the, for the first time. Um, so that, and that exceeded over $500 billion uh, invested in, in projects to decarbonize the energy system, including clean power and clean transportation. And we see that really play out in a, in a number of cases. And I think... Uh, uh, if you look at just some of the projects that are being undertaken, like Acorn in uh, in Scotland, a tea site in in England, um, when we look at what Ireland is doing around its hydrogen future, or the Northern Lights project, uh, which is a cooperation between Norway, 
and, and the European Union and the UK. Uh, for me, that is, is fantastic news to actually see that people realize the, these challenges, putting the money where the mouth is and seeing that with investments and with investments in new projects that are trying to address some of the risks that, uh, that we highlighted. Absolutely, Aro. I agree that that's very, very encouraging signs of all the investment. That's where things need to start. But, you know, so the term energy transition somehow sounds like a well-lubricated slide towards there. But in reality, things are far more complex. You know, there's complexities. You know, we don't realize how, how dependent the world is on oil and gas. It's not just shifting from gasoline-powered cars to electric cars or something like that. It's, it's a lot more complicated. Everything we do, even, you know, the wind turbines that are made are made out of plastic, which are petroleum derivatives, right? So, so really, we need to look at it in, a, in, a, in its entirety. The world needs to look at its entirety across the entire, entire sustainability value chain, I call it, you know, which is moving from where we are today, right? You know, where, where multiple portions are, are really dependent on, on oil, even you know uh, chemicals which which are no no uh, we can't be reused to a point that we get to net zero. This needs to there are several steps that need to happen across the board, and everybody needs to collaborate across this value. Would you agree? Yeah, totally, totally agree. And, and that's the reason why I said in my short introduction we talk about two dimensions. We talk about transforming the core, which really is around how can we help and how can we use the technology of the cloud to really drive the efficiencies that we need to have in, in what I would call our traditional operations. And, and I think that's the key word, and at the same time, build the future of energy for tomorrow. And for me, it is that, that really that word, and it's not an either or. I think we really do need that, uh, that solution, both to transform the core and build the future of energy for tomorrow. And we know that the, the global uh, need for energy is going to rise. It's probably going to rise depending on, on which scenario you follow in the order of something like 30% by 2050. So we really do need all the energy sources that we have. So the energy mix, I think, will change. But I think it will do uh, be that balance in how do we help optimize, transform the core, and as I said, build a, the future of energy. And, and again, it's an end solution, and it's not a, an either-or solution. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think so, critical to this is this Arnold would be how do you link up all the supply chains of these various materials and bring them all to work together? You know, as you can imagine, as as the world gets off coal, right? You know, and and you know, we the first step that people will have to look at is is how do we like look at our existing operations and and existing you know fuel based operations, you know, everything from refining upstream downstream, as you mentioned, will have to become much more efficient and much less carbon intense. Okay. And I call that the first step. That's unlocking efficiency, which is there. And there is this is where technology providers such as AWS and and you know from from a cloud perspective and computing perspective, as well as as you know specialized you know engineering suppliers, data providers, all of those who like Aviva would come in and, and enable these, these efficient, unlocking these efficiencies. The next step out, out of this would happen is, is sort of, is, is an evolution of, of this where more renewable would, would come in again. This, this we'll have to look at how do we make grids more resilient as how do we look, you know, how do we store this excess energy uh, so that, you know, when, you know, when there is not enough sunlight or not, not enough wind, 
how you know how do we sort of take this energy from power or we call this power to x how do we store this energy to be stored later on uh, will have to be looked at in parallel we'll have to look at circularity right how do we how do we you know look at new generation of chemicals which are which are renewable which are you know we'll, we will have to look at recycling and of all this waste that's coming in in a sustainable manner so we'll have to really bring in a resilient supply chain that collects all this information together and and then water would be critical as well so this is why i was saying that it's such a rich ecosystem that will have to be looked at in all parallel all together to really bring it out there and then the final step of net zero even with all the stuff that we will be doing we will still not be able to completely get rid of all the carbon, right? That is out there. And then we'll have to look at things like carbon sequestration and, and moving to hydrogen and all of this in parallel to all these unlocking efficiencies that I'm talking about. Yeah, and, and I think the key thing that you highlight, and, and I think you use the word data correctly, yeah? Uh, and I'm just reflecting on, uh, on a really um, similar use case or similar uh, challenge that, uh, that Angie uh, uh, faced. Um, they really realized that um, if they wanted to drive and execute on a zero carbon transition, they needed to gather data on what's happening. And that included data on, on how much carbon dioxide uh, you burn, where you burn it, and how, how it all correlates with the environmental topics like weather, the temperature, the number of people that are using it. And all this data needs to be stored, it needs to be gathered and computed uh, so that you can measure progress and follow up uh, on, a, on a roadmap. But again, I think you're spot on. How do we get those insights? How do we get that data? And how do we make those links for through all these desperate uh, yeah, information systems? And as I just mentioned, around weather and temperature and people and customer sentiment. And I think the cloud is the only tool available uh, for us right now to do it. So in that sense, I think we are seeing people who are on the forefront um, to really think about how do we put that together. And we're really glad that we've been able to work with, with Angie, as we have been doing with, uh, with Aviva, on really setting, uh, setting the standard and putting those systems in place. And as I said, for me, the cloud is the core technology to help us bring that all together. Absolutely. Absolutely, Arno. I mean, and cloud is sort of provides this perfect confluence of where all of this information can come together and can be mined or, or understood to make better decisions. And it's not just operational data, as just mentioned, temperature, pressure, but also the engineering information. Really, really, we need to, you know, things like, hey, pass, you know, if, if you need to go and make changes to a pump, knowing the history and all the documentation of the pump, all the PNIDs and all this information, really having ready access to it, to a connected remote worker that doesn't have to go, you know, take a helicopter to a platform to really go understand this but maybe do a virtual walkthrough before they go out there and make changes and even maybe do all these changes completely remotely or provide this information completely remotely. So, so really bringing that engineering, operational and industrial sort of information all together so that information can be understood, contextualized and faster decisions can be made. Um, it, it would be an ideal example. And, and, and I'll give um, an ideal place to be I was going to give an example of, of a, a company which is at the forefront of, of this uh, this uh, uh, energy transition. I'd bring an example of BP, which which has been doing a great job of, of really leading the path from an oil and gas company from energy transition. Uh, and BP 
you know, is, is a joint customer of both Aviva and AWS. And, and there's, there's a public case study around how they were using <clears throat> cloud, the power of cloud, as well as, as, as modern technologies. They were able to use, you know, some of these technologies to bring down the decision time that used to take them, you know, to run these models to evaluate different scenarios to buy crudes, you know, different, uh, you know, market scenarios to understand the volatility and, and those things. You take some, something would take them eight hours. They were able to reduce it down to about three and a half minutes. Imagine, imagine what you can do with that time, you know, where, whereas where you have to wait overnight to run a scenario, understand it, to basically going out there <clears throat> and getting a tea or a coffee and coming back with, and running a whole bunch of richer multi-generation scenarios to, to, to come up with the most sustainable path forward. Yeah, I think the, I think the example from uh, BP and, and using your Spiral Suite software to help them optimize uh, their, uh, their downstream operations, as you said, in near real time, because I think that's what you're talking about, the difference between um, eight hours to reach a decision and now doing it within minutes really provides that near um, yeah, real time uh, insight that can really drive and optimize uh, decisions. And, and, and I think the other thing that we probably not enough talk about is uh, BP has been on a, on a fascinating journey to transition away from the traditional data centers uh, to the cloud. Um, again, as you said, we've got uh, several uh, public use cases where we have announced how we work with BP. And again, in buying renewable energy from BP um, to power our data centers in, uh, in Europe. But I think there's another element that goes with that when we talk about how can that help um, with, with the energy transition. And it's the fact that um, the AWS infrastructure is 3.6 times more energy efficient than the medium of the surveyed US enterprise data centers. So if you put that into context, yeah, so AWS performs the same task with an 88% lower carbon footprint than, uh, than on-prem. So going back to the example that you shared around BP and, and using your Spiral Suite uh, software, um, yeah, not only did it provide direct business outcomes, uh, did it provide real-time, near real-time insights for decision-making, but also as, a, as an added benefit, something that, that we didn't even think about, it also automatically lowered the carbon footprint by just doing this in the, in the cloud already. Absolutely. It's a great example of, of how a threat such as coming out, you know, a challenge in the marketplace, which is in this case <clears throat> volatility and the energy transition uh, change turned into a, an opportunity where BP could make faster decisions and do it in a manner which was actually more sustainable than it was in the past, right? Yeah. And, 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 we, and we, see, uh, we see this not just happening in, in Europe. Um, I think one of the other great examples for me is, uh, is Vector in Australia. Uh, Vector is, a, is an energy uh, supplier. Um, they provide 80% uh, of their energy comes from renewable uh, sources. Uh, they have 40,000 DERs or distributed energy resources under their control. And just thinking about how do you manage 40,000 distributed energy resources, providing energy to 1.2 million homes in, in New Zealand, the only way, again, to do it is to actually use that data, use those insights together with AI and ML, which is the next step, I think, on top of, of having the data available, being able to, to do it. So I think um, 
just have just these two examples from BP and from Vector in uh, in New Zealand. It really shows how we can use uh, the cloud, how we can use those technologies uh, together with a provider like uh, like Aviva uh, that spans so many uh, different verticals and industries. Really help drive um, these these changes for the future. Yeah, absolutely, uh, um, Arno. And I, I give another example of of a, a company that sort of took this 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 sort of challenge, as, as you call it, you know, is, is Neste Oil in Finland, right? Neste is the world's largest producible of renewable fuels, right? And, and it, it's a great partner for us, Naviva. And, and as they may transition across their entire supply chain, not, not only in, in there, so they have the oil products as well as the renewable products. And, and really what they did is use our software to, to, to streamline the, uh, the the, the value chains across and make make better decisions and by shifting to these renewable fuels as as that you know, balancing it up this is on, from Neste's website they were able to create CO2 savings of 90 million tons per year by moving to renewable fuels now this is just to just to paraphrase for the audience is equivalent to carbon offsets of about 1.2 billion trees per year so again, a great example that that you know sort of technology can be used in conjunction with a desire to change the business model, right? To 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 make substantial change in in the marketplace. Yeah, and 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 I think it is not just the ability to use technology for the good. Um, the challenge that we normally get, uh, Harpreet, and you're probably facing the same, is around how do we demonstrate that we're not only meeting our environmental commitments and really making progress on this journey uh, towards uh, zero carbon. For me, a great example is SEPSA, where they have been doing both, but also been able to demonstrate how to uh, harness value uh, from that. So SEPSA is um, uh, an international oil and gas uh, organization based out of of Spain, um, and they went on a mission to to actually save energy and energy consumptions in their eight uh, downstream or refinery operations that there are scattered around the globe. So they were able to to bring in 170 million data points a day um, by doing uh, the analysis, by doing the machine learning, by capturing the data again, they were able to save uh, 2.5% on energy and at the same time drive 2.5% more throughput. So if you think about it, that is pretty significant. And that yielded, I think, over 70 thousand tons of uh, CO2 sequestration as we go that. But more importantly, um, they were able now to demonstrate that an estimated 15% of their value um, would come from data. So for me, it is not just the ability to capture the data, to help with this business driver, with these decisions to get to, uh, to, uh, to zero carbon. We also now have the data points again from SEPSA, where they are able now to demonstrate that 15% of the value really comes from the ability to use data. And just that single project where they started off by looking at the refineries, ingesting those 170 million data points a day, actually spun off 48 new digital projects. And we see that over and over again, once companies and organizations get on the cloud, start to harness the data, all of a sudden they see these synergies, these unexpected benefits that they hadn't realized before that they can now harness because of the insights and the availability of having data in a centralized place. And again, going back to what we talked about earlier, how do you make those connections between all those different data sources? Uh, 
Absolutely, absolutely. And I, don't know, I would, I'd also say, you know, this sort of aspect of data being a foundation, and and you know, the an eye to sustainability being a foundation of decision making is is going to be is going to have to be pervasive in the future. I, I'll give you an example of of something that is much earlier in a life cycle, right? People design plants, and and you know, across you know everything from gas plants to upstream facilities to downstream facilities and and as you mentioned you know there's a huge amount of capex uh, that is going to happen in new energies uh be it you know hydrogen plant carbon capture and sequestration or all kind of power to x material you know what people would do in the past was to really look at an you know sort of economic justification you know at the engineering stage you'd look at you know how do we design this plant for maximum efficiency and its viability and those kind of things and at the end of all of this, you know, first uh, final investment decisions, they look at, you know, the carbon footprint and, 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 you know, sort of, you know, report that. Now, with the newer generation technologies, what I see is going to happen is that this would, this would be almost real-time decision as the plants are being designed, as they are being analyzed, as different configurations are things. Sustainability would be a critical factor in, in the design of these plants. And, 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 and you know, wouldn't be just economics that would govern that, but it's sustainability a big factor. So actually measuring, knowing the sustainability footprint of all your decision points, you know, be it design or operational changes or any kind of things you do, you know, knowing that is going to be the first factor. And that's where the data comes in, right? Knowing all this information in real time, you know, through technology, sort of bringing and highlighting these impact on, on the sustainability an environmental factor as part of this energy transition is going to be critical in 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 the future on how do we get there and and unlock lots of opportunities as as you can imagine on on you know for machine learning for for the connected worker to go out there and make make sure things are done in the right way yeah i, I really like that example uh, that you just shared around uh, your digital twin solutions your digital twin uh, offerings Really starting that decision, starting that journey already in the feed stage, uh, doing it through construction, and then transitioning, of course, in operations and actually referring back and forth every time. Are we still delivering as per our design intent uh, on that uh, on that commitment? Uh, and that can be against all those metrics that you just listed, uh, Harpreet. But I think the other thing that that is really fascinating now, now that we have this digital twin platform, which is cloud native, it allows us to integrate um, far more cloud-native technologies. And I think you hinted at it already just a little bit. Just think about the ability now to integrate 5G networks, the ability to integrate uh, IoT, ML, and robotics. So all of a sudden, this digital twin, uh, which which a lot of people just associate with a, um, a digital copy of a physical asset, becomes all of a sudden much broader than that because it allows us now to integrate all these cloud-native technologies to even drive more value and more insights. And the example you gave, hey, maybe this can prevent us in the future from having to send people off offshore, um, safe on helicopter trips, yeah? and more importantly, drive safety, drive HSE compliance, and more importantly, also making sure that the facilities are actually compliant with the designs that we had all the way in the in the feed stage. Absolutely, and, and, and you know, and in an example. Joe, of, of, of a, a threat or would be that, you know, look, as we 
as we decarbonize, make people make lesser trips, lesser number of people are at remote sites, right? Is that how do you ensure uh, that that you know that the safety and reliability, you know, the operations run as reliable as possible? And there too, a digital twin, for example, would be critical. You know, sort of bringing. So, so if I may define the digital twin, is basically you got data, which is everything from operational engineering. Uh, information all coming together, right? And, uh, you know, visualization technology so we can actually visualize, understand, and contextualize all this information. And the third leg of this digital twin being a model that actually predicts certain behavior. So so, so a challenge or threat would be, you know, reliability, you know, and, and making sure, you know, people are safe and everything we don't overlook as 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 uh, we, we become, you know, leaner uh, across the board would be having a predictive model that actually predict failure, you know, from machine learning AI-based models that can predict failure or have a model that actually can suggest uh, different scenarios or different type of operating environments that, that might be needed without really, you know, the need to be going out there. So this is, again, a, a huge opportunity and the world is adopting right now. And all this on a foundation of, of a cloud-based infrastructure, right? So that information is available everywhere to this connected worker, wherever they are. Uh, happen to be in the world as expert that that can help analyze, troubleshoot, predict, and change uh, uh, before any catastrophic failure happens. Yeah, and and I think I think the the key thing for me, uh, Harpreet, is to highlight that this is not a pipe dream. This is stuff. These are solutions that already are operational. There are already numerous organizations out there that that went through this transition from being looking at data in hindsight. Uh, from gathering insight, and as you said, more importantly, going to foresight. So this is not just something that we might do or or are contemplating. This is happening in real time, um, and there. Uh, and again, uh, thanks to to our partners like like Aviva, uh, this is a fantastic opportunity for all of our customers to really drive the HSE compliance, the ESG compliance, and really drive safety and operational efficiency. Again, for me, capturing that on, under the the banner of transforming the core and help build. The, the future of energy. Absolutely, and I know I, I, there's a lot of these solutions are are existing and in in work today. But I would also say that there is a lot of innovation that is coming down the path, right? That, that down the line, um, you know, one critical factor that we'll have to look at in parallel is is an example I'll give you is battery technology, right? And and that requires sort of there's a whole value chain of batteries that we need to go all the way down to mining and how do we bring those you know, as efficiently as possible. But even the battery technologies is rapidly evolving. There's new generation of batteries, new things that will come out there which will require a new whole new value chain that will have to be out, uh, redefined and, and optimized and, and really streamlined uh, to, to make, make things happen. Uh, so I, the point I'm making is we know what we know today and, and we can handle a lot of these things, but there's a huge amount of innovation that is happening. And 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 sort of technology. Us as technology providers lead the path, but it it is an ecosystem of you know startups and industry vendors and 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 uh, and, and governments funding and and tax credits and carbon offsets that that's going to happen. Make sure this collaboration is going to have to happen to to make sure that we get where we need to go, uh, uh, and that would be net zero in an ideal case. Yeah, I'm really glad that you highlighted the uh, the challenges around around innovation. And 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 when you said it, uh, uh, another 
uh, EIA report actually came to mind where the EIA actually said that, you know what, um, by using current technologies, we are able to reduce emissions by around 25%, which yeah. is really yeah. shocking because it really means that 75% to reach the remaining 75% around emission uh, reduction would require innovation, would require new technologies, uh, whether it's on the software side or whether it's on the hardware side, as you as you discovered. And and we realized that uh, earlier this year. Uh, this year we started our first AWS uh, Clean Energy Accelerator. And for me, the thing that really stood out is we had 215 applicants from 38 countries. So in other words, um, the ecosystem is there, the startup community is there, and it really is up to us. How can we help drive um, that innovation? How can we accelerate that innovation to really achieve those uh, those objectives? And again, as I said, um, yeah, making sure we can get up to 75% of the emission reductions through those necessary new innovations um, that are still out there. So a lot of a lot of scope. Uh, to really innovate and do things different. So this is not uh, not top trodden ground. This is fertile new ground for everybody to to help and contribute. Absolutely, yeah. and I think a critical sort of component of that, you know, is going to have to to be you know carbon capture and storage. At least that's what we think today. You know, who knows? You know, in five years where we will be, but that's carbon capture and storage is a critical sort of step towards you know towards uh, towards getting to net zero. And even there, you know, there is there is a whole, you know, we'll have to create a carbon offset economy. There will be, you know, you know, CO2 pipelines and consortiums that will have to to be be brought together, that people work together. And as you said, not a lot more newer technologies that will enable us to 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 get there. Yeah, and 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 we see that uh, development, of course, uh, on our end, um, and we are offering up uh, together with our partners uh, solutions. Um, carbon trading uh, and carbon trading platforms are probably the, the, the hottest theme at the moment. Um, ESG compliance and how you demonstrate ESG compliance. How do you look at a power and utility distribution system to really enable all these distributed energy resources? So it's not just around um, technologies, around the, the, the emissions reduction, but it captures, as you said, the entire breadth, the entire value stream, the entire supply chain, all the way from carbon capturing, from trading to EZ compliance, to how do we manage now this really complicated um, power and utility distribution system that's uh, that's going on. And I think the the one thing that um, um, that gives me both hope and pause is is when we look at the role again that data is going to be playing in this uh, whole new economy and uh, this whole new world. We know that probably by 2035. Uh, the amount of data that is being produced is going to increase by a hundredfold. Yeah. So just imagine how do we manage a hundred times more data in uh, by 20 to 35, and the majority of that new data will be unstructured. Um, it will come from a large part from more and new IoT devices, and the expectation mm -hmm. is again that probably by 2030 already. IoT devices could be exceeded 50 billion devices uh, in in operations. So it's that is that that's that 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 challenge on both ends. How do we innovate? How do we help across the entire value chain, across the entire supply chain? And what role will data play? And really thinking about data in a whole new way. If we have to realize that uh, if the predictions come through, 
that uh, the data explosion uh, will gather a, another 100x, 100 times increase in data than we're already seeing today. Absolutely. And, 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 and that prevalence or, or you know, sort of ex explosion in data, I would say, Arnold, is, is both a threat and an opportunity, right? The threat is yeah. that you just get so overwhelmed that they, they are, they're not able to see the forest through the trees, right? That, and and, and the, the opportunity is that there is such rich availability of data. If we can connect all the dots, that decision-making can be much more richer, much faster, and much more collaborative because everybody is walk, working off the same version of truth. And that's, this is one common thread that we, we are tackling um, uh, across Aviva is that if you look at the sort of the data value chain, you know, it, it, be it in, in the engineering, life cycle or in the operations life cycle, right? The engineering life cycle is going from, you know, conceptual design, conceptual feed, all the way into, into construction and going, you know, basically into startup mode. How do you collaborate across across this and, and in a manner which, which is consistent and in an operations value chain would be, you know, how do you say, you know, start from where you buy your raw materials all the way to, knowing your customers and, and, and you know, what their demands and where the demands are sensing that demand, sort of working backwards. So, so if you can connect those dots across this entire value chains, both uh, in a, in a uh, operations or the, you know, the, the engineering life cycle, there is a huge amount of opportunity. Yeah, and I, th and I think there's an other dimension that, um, that really I think is gonna change in addition to, to what you just said, uh, Harpreet, is we are used in, in traditional oil and gas that we, we drill a well, we pump the oil to surface, we pump it down a pipeline, uh, we store it in a tank, we wait for a tanker to show up, uh, we shuttle that, uh, that crude halfway around the world, and then it gets processed. I think in the new energy system, um, we will have to operate at the speed of light. And again, I think that is another dimension because if you are uh, at home, you want to flip a switch, you want to be able to turn on the lights immediately without having to wait uh, for, for weeks for that, uh, that activity uh, to happen. And really, I think when we look at uh, where this all is leading us, um, and I think it, for me, those key three buckets, it's around how do we optimize efficiency? And how do we drive business agility? And more importantly, how do we increase intelligence? How do we accelerate enterprise transformation with speed and scale and through the deployment of all these high-performance computing, this machine learning, this IoT that we talked about, and the analytic capabilities to just enable this across the entire value stream and across the entire life cycle of these assets uh, that we will be needing. And then recognizing that some of the, uh, the assets um, of the future um, will have different dimensions, as I talked about, the ability to operate at the speed of light uh, compared to what we've been doing uh, traditionally this far. Absolutely. Enterprise agility is, is going to be, be critical in, in, in having everything from resilience in, in a business model to resilience across value chains, enterprise agility. And, and I think the volatility we are seeing in the marketplace across, across the board, you know, from, from commodities to oil and gas to, to, to demands as, such as what we saw in, in the UK and Europe recently, that's not going to go away. That's just going to continue to do that. What and and you know, as we've seen in the past, the pandemic, you know, has highlighted these these sort of impact of supply chains and how 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 
you know, fickle or how, you know, how little things can have a bull effect across the value chains, uh, people will have to do, you know, this resilience in mind, the you know, enterprise agility and build on, on a resilient business model would be critical for that. Yeah, improved decision-making across operations. Um, and as you really highlighted, to really respond to market fluctuations, yeah, um, it's, I think it's going to be another critical, critical element. And again, um, it goes back to uh, uh, the ability to have data at your fingertips, but I think it also, again, highlights the need to innovate and really drive uh, not just a, uh, a single POC where we can demonstrate the technology, but how do you scale this? Yeah, How do you do this? Um, across an enterprise? How do you do this across an industry? How do you do that across uh, a whole continent and making sure um, that we actually can drive that agility uh, going forward? Absolutely. And, and I think it is the, 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 yeah, a large part of the value of the, the partnership with, with Aviva uh, that we are able to do this on a, on a global scale. And uh, we are able to use our cloud uh, infrastructure that spans the globe uh, with our regions and our availability zones together with some of our global partners like Aviva. So we can actually do this at scale around the globe, being able to scale a solution that we might have developed here in, in Houston, Texas, being able to deploy that in Sydney, Australia, being able to deploy that in the, in the Middle East or being able to deploy that in whatever region um, there is a need to, to do it. And I think that is another critical element um, where um, in the future, we will be looking more and more at the ability to not just scale, scale locally, but how do we also take these lessons? How do we not reinvent the wheel? And how do we use the cloud and these partnerships to actually scale globally? Absolutely. But Joe, we, we've been dominating the conversation here. It's a great conversation. Arno and I could probably continue for hours uh, as we're very passionate about it. But uh, did you have additional questions that you'd like to ask on behalf of the audience? Well, I have had a great time listening to you guys. This has been, I, I realized that I, I haven't asked that many questions, but you two just feed off of each other so well. And, and actually we've covered literally everything that I wanted to talk about without, without any prompting. So I think that was, it's been very, very fun listening to you two. And I, I am excited to, to see the feedback from the episode. I, I do have a set of final questions that I ask everybody and I want to be cognizant of your time. So I think, I think if, if you're okay with it, let's just jump into those final questions. The, yep. Go ahead the first one, the first question is what is the most important book you've ever read? <laughs> tough, tough question. Uh, uh, Joe, I say, you know, look, there's, I won't say there's one book, you know, there's, there's a bunch of really, really uh, fascinating books that, that are both, you know, from, you know, like from seven habits of successful people to something very recently that I, I, I read, uh, there's a book by Fareed Zakaria, 10 lessons from, from a post pandemic world. It was, it's a fascinating discussion and insights into it. So there's several that, that I could think of, but, but those two jump off, off uh, the top of my mind uh, right now. You know, I, I just finished a book over the weekend, um, and it really goes to this topic. It's called uh, The Hydrogen Revolution, uh, a blueprint for the future of clean energy. 
And the book is written by Marco Alvera. Uh, Marco Alvera, for the, the people who don't know, he's the, the CEO of, uh, of SNAM, S-N-A-M. Uh, and SNAM is the largest utility provider in, uh, in Italy. And, and this book really is an absolutely fascinating view uh, of where a CEO is, is actually laying out a roadmap how by, by 2025 um, they can actually scale hydrogen, scale hydrogen to, to really um, compete with, uh, with natural gas um, and really making the prediction that, uh, that he believes that hydrogen, green hydrogen, can be offered for less than $2 uh, per kilogram, which when you think about the economics and being the, having the ability to drive uh, not just the technology, but having to drive technology, um, that is economical and at this point in time actually would be competing uh, with traditional energy is absolutely fascinating. So my recommendation would be uh, go to Amazon.com. Uh, it is available on Amazon.com because that's where I got it. Uh, it's called The Hydrogen Revolution, uh, a blueprint for the future of clean energy by Marco Alvera, the, uh, the CEO of, uh, of SNAM. All great books and all great recommendations. The The next question is... What is our path to net zero? <laughs> I think we talked a little bit about this uh, um, during our discussion. I would say, Joe, but but the, my my sort of contention is the path to net zero is 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 three steps across the sustainability value chain. I I, I sort of uh, uh, you know highlighted you know the first one being hey, looking at our existing operations. How do we how do we make them as efficient, as less carbon intensive as possible? The second one would be, you know, sort of get, you know, renewable into the mix as an evolution of, of this. And, and the third and final step would be that get to net zero by, by carbon offsets and, and the hydrogen switching to hydrogen. Those, those are the three things that I see. I don't know, I don't know if, if you can see additional things that, that, that would be possible. So first of all, first of all, the path to net zero, we are already on that path. So we don't have to find that path. For me, it is around how do we accelerate um, all these initiatives that are ongoing. And we shared in this podcast a couple of examples of where companies are already on that journey. And for me, it is how do we collectively accelerate uh, this journey um, economically, safely and sustainable. Um, so it's not around finding the path; it is staying the course and accelerating the course that that, that we are on. I really well like said. that. Mm-hmm. Yep, I really like that answer and and pointing out that that both Aviva and AWS are are already on that path. You are enabling your clients to be on that path and to accelerate on that path, and and really that's the most important. The most important point I think is is staying the course and and utilizing the data to innovate and maybe be able to speed up quicker on that path which i think arno you've you've highlighted well with aws and and how you got how how aws is is beating the targets that are being set and i think that's a really really encouraging and really exciting news to to hear and to to be able to point to. So my last question is what do you, do either of you have any questions for me? 
Um, how do we make sure that as many people can actually hear this, uh, what I think hopefully is a, is a very hopeful message? I know we started off this discussion around, around threats, which I think was, was really good uh, to really put that in, into perspective. But I also hope that people realize there's a lot of opportunity and there's a lot of um, great news and there's a lot of great initiatives going on. There's a great amount of solutions being being. Uh, uh, being brought forward. So for me, it's around how do we spread the word, and the more uh, we can spread the word, the better it is. Harpreet? No, no, I think well, well said there, Joe. To Arnold. Yeah, I think the the easiest and most important way to to spread the word about really about energy transition is that that personal connection and personally telling everybody. So. Obviously, when you're when you're trying to get somebody to listen to your podcast, you put it on LinkedIn and Instagram and every other social media network there are there is. But when I'm talking about energy transition with anybody and talking about low carbon fuel sources and 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 increasing your own efficiencies, it is it is that daily conversation and that that personal connection. And telling somebody why I do something I do, or why I work in geothermal, or why I have a podcast about energy transition, it and helping people see the why behind it, I think helps them realize that the the what and the how are really just a matter of of figuring it out but without that motivation without that why then you will never end up you'll never end up figuring out the how or the what you really need that why behind it yeah i really appreciate that i really appreciate that and it really it really reminds me of uh, uh of, of probably the commercial you've seen on, on television um and i really like to end maybe with this little little pitch for aws aws is how I like it. Harpreet, did you have any final things you wanted to say? Uh, thanks, uh, Joe. First of all, I wanted to thank you as well as Arnold for, for sort of uh, AWS for sponsoring this uh, uh, this podcast. But I want to end at, at a somewhat of a optimistic note, right? It, it's, you know, look, every time we've had, you know, history shows that in the last, you know, 20, 30 years, that every time there's a threat or disruption of business models, it is almost brought in a lot more opportunities. And I do believe that there is a lot of opportunity, a lot more opportunities than the threats. The threats are just sort of impediments on how do we get there. Uh, the momentum is building up. Um, it's great to see across the board, you know, that, that there's a lot of collaboration, recognition, um, and, and, and we are going to make it happen. Um, the critical factor, as, as, as we were talking earlier, is really connecting the dots, right? Bringing the data together across all of these value chains, enabling that agility for, of, of all, all the, the, the people all, all throughout this value chain across the enterprise and, and, and really collaboration. And, and these are gonna be enabled by technology. So we as technology vendors, providers are at, you know, in the forefront of this thing, but everyone across this value chain has a part to play. Well, I think that's a, a great note to end on. Harpreet, 
Arno, thank you very much for being on the show. And thank you, everyone, for joining us on this episode of the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast. Please do me a favor, give me a five-star rating and leave a review. Doing these two simple actions will help these stories reach a wider audience. And if you want to hear more great stories and keep up to date with the energy industry, connect with OGGN on LinkedIn or visit OGGN.com. And if you're ever in the Houston area, I encourage you to go check out the Canon co-working space. If you mention OGGN, you can get a free day pass. And lastly, if you have any questions, comments, corrections, or have a story you want to share, send me an email or find me on LinkedIn. And until next time, remember to keep it low carbon and high energy. Join us again next week for another low carbon, high energy story on the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.